Before we begin our Torah study together, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This is the Shabbat of comfort. It is the Shabbat that follows the commemoration of great tragedies and mourning, times of mourning for the Jewish people, Tisha B'Av, which started Saturday night and continued into Sunday. It's also the beginning of a period where we are anticipating the coming of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And so we're anticipating uh, a, a time of reflection a time of self-examination. It's also a time to confront our own sins so that we would be open before God and telling God the honest truth, even when it's uncomfortable, in order to confess our sins so that we can receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that he has in mind. But when we're paying so much attention to our sins, it can be discouraging to people. And some people actually get disheartened and think, well, when I look honestly at my own failures, I just become disappointed in myself. Some people pull away from God. It's actually a time to pull towards God. And when you recognize failures or you recognize difficulties or you recognize that you are not yet where you want to be and none of us will ever be fully there, once you pay attention to that and you draw close to the Lord and receive forgiveness, there is a kind of peacemaking and reconciliation with God. And this is especially important, not just for people who have never been reconciled with God, but for those who have been believers even for a long time, for many decades, because our lives can become dull and stagnant and we, become, we can become complacent. And then when we're stirred up, we can be overtaken by guilt. Well, in recognition of that, it's a Jewish tradition to have a series of Shabbats that include Haftorah readings that are meant to comfort, that are meant to comfort people, not so that we continue in our complacency, but rather so that we can face our actual realities, the, our, our true nature, our true need for God, our falling short, our... Um, our sin, so that we can face it and receive all that God has in mind for us. And so this week is the first of a series of Shabbats. This one is called the Shabbat of Comfort, or Shabbat Nachmu, and the Haftor portion is from Isaiah 40, which begins with these words, Nachmu, Nachmu. And I, I see you're turning there already. That's wonderful. And we'll get there in a few minutes. But we've got a few things to do in anticipation of that and to connect both um, two vocabulary words, which I promised to share with you last week and didn't because I just didn't have the time. But um, I put them on Facebook this week just so that you would see them and spell them and maybe even look them up in the dictionary. Not that you're here for uh, a vocabulary lesson, but why not? Tonight is, why is tonight different from all other nights? Tonight you get some vocabulary that may be useful only for tonight. <laughs> I, I want to connect 
what we're about to talk to, to the themes we've been looking at. One theme is the idea of open hearts, praying for our open hearts and for the open hearts of people around us. And some have, uh, have had wonderful testimonies that they've shared with me about how God has been moving to open up the hearts of people whose hearts had been closed and who were going in a very different direction away from God and away from wisdom and away from the things that are important to the Lord. And their hearts were opened up. And really, it'd be hard to explain it any other way other than to say their hearts were opened. And as a result, they, they made a magnificent change in direction. With open hearts comes something else, and that is open eyes, open spiritual eyes, so that we can see things that would otherwise be invisible. And there are times when we think we know what's going on because we've watched enough TV news to think we know what's going on, but we may not truly understand what's happening. The scriptures are very clear that it's important to look at things carefully and it's important to see beyond the outer surfaces of things in order to capture what is the, um, the actual meaning of this in God's eyes. So we need open eyes, and we're praying for open eyes that are spiritually open so we can see things that we otherwise might not see. And with open spiritual eyes comes open spiritual ears. These are all part of one great process. We need open hearts, open eyes, and open ears so that we can hear and we can understand and we can turn. Now, this may seem abrupt, but I want to actually insert something because the book of Deuteronomy, which we're reading through in these weeks, is a second telling by Moses of many things that have happened, a recounting of important events, but it's more than just a repetition. It includes new details and new understanding so that the children of Israel and everyone subsequently who would read these words would have a broader picture and a deeper understanding of what was going on. And Moses is trying to prepare the children of Israel for something, and that is that they would be able to not only enter the land that God has promised, but that they would be able to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. That's his ultimate goal and his hope. His hope is that people's hearts would open up that their eyes would open up, that their ears would open up, because they've been through some rough times. The adults over, the, the men over the age of 20 in particular, do you remember, already have been told, you're not going in. Not one of you, except for two of you. Not one of you is going in, but Caleb is going to go in, and Joshua is going to go in. And otherwise, it will be the younger generation that goes in. And so the, the Lord is saying, your hearts have been closed, your eyes have been closed, your ears have been closed, and I'm patient with you, but you have not experienced what I was looking for from you. I was looking for you to open up with me and to really be fully dedicated. And so as we're reading the book of Deuteronomy, we're seeing not only a recounting of things, but some new details. And I encourage you to, to read those details. But in reading the book of Deuteronomy and looking again at past events, there's another spiritual lesson, and that is 
the way you see things when you first go through them or when you first hear about them may not be the last word. You may need to review things and see again from a fresh perspective and have a new understanding of what's going on. There may be a time when you feel like you knew what was happening, but years later you can look back and realize, I didn't really understand the events of my life. Oh, I thought I understood them, but much later I could see them with a very different perspective. And so there's a lesson in, in Deuteronomy. It's a broad lesson that has application at all times in our life. It's worth taking a step back and taking a look again. It's worth paying attention to the details that you even didn't take notice of before, even though they occurred, but to, to uh, process things once more and to make an assessment. So, so that's Deuteronomy. I feel like uh, until we get to the end, I don't know if I'm going to tie this whole thing in together. And you may feel like, where is this guy going? And uh, we'll see where I'm going. But now one more subject that ties into it that's a timely subject, I think. Um, and, and then we're going to look at some really careful ideas that, that relate to prophetic understanding and vision. In the, in the last week, there's been a lot of controversy about uh, two congresswomen who were told they could go to Israel, then they couldn't go to Israel, and now one of them can, and the other can't, but the one that can doesn't want to go anymore. Um, and so there's a lot of hoopla going on right now. And I want to prepare you for discussions that you may have with people who are all caught up in the politics and the confusion. And I found that if you can introduce these three ideas and see if there's consensus agreement, then you can build discussion on it. But if people can't agree on these three ideas, then they may be arguing over minor details for which there can be different opinions. So I, I learned that I needed to be able to explain to people, including my Jewish family, which has become in some ways disheartened with the state of Israel, as many Jews in America have, and thinking that the state of Israel doesn't reflect the ideals of the Jewish people in all ways, and it's uh, broken in many ways, and its politics are not always trustworthy and so forth. And, and so in talking to my siblings, I, I've, I've actually communicated these ideas so that we could have frank discussion about details. And I, I explain it this way. I unconditionally support the state of Israel's right to exist. That's the first thing. It's right to exist as a homeland for the Jewish people. The second detail is this. I unconditionally support the right of the state of Israel to safe, secure, and defensible borders. And the third statement is this, I unconditionally support the right of the state of Israel to protect her citizens. And these are common, common rights that every legal state in the world has. And once we realize that these are foundational, imagine uh, if we didn't grasp that, it would create all sorts of problems. But once we realize these are foundational, then we can communicate them in simple ways to other people and say, here's my starting point. 
And then to ask this, do you agree with these three statements? Do you believe that the state of Israel has a right to exist? Do you believe that it has a right to defend itself? Do you believe that it has a right to, um, to have safety and to protect its citizens? Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, that's what we should be talking about. Not all the other details, but those simple things. And not everybody is prepared to listen to a discussion based on uh, Bible promises and covenants and prophecy. Some are and some aren't. It's worth having a lot of different approaches so you can talk to a lot of different kinds of people. But I think it's useful, and I think if you take note of this, that you'll be able to enter into discussions with all kinds of people who may be stirred up about things and who are missing certain details. Well, that's a freebie, but I think you can take that home. Now, I want to shift, and again, this, you know, I, I felt when I was preparing this, introducing these, these two words I'm going to be using, that it's like, um, not what we would normally do, you know, have a complicated English lesson and vocabulary lesson. It really won't be that complicated or that long. But the words may be unfamiliar. Some may be familiar to those who are involved in theology, and some may be familiar to those who are involved in law. But, I mean, one of them is a word that can be used uh, regarding law and one uh, about theology. But I want to connect them two together. And so here are the words. And if you look in Facebook, you can look at our Beth Israel page, you can look at our podcast page, and you can look at my personal page in Facebook for the words and the correct spellings. But the first word is adumbration. And I'm not going to spell these for you. If you want to find out the spelling, look them up, adumbration. And the second word is eschatological. Now, how many have ever used the word adumbration in their daily, you know, communication with friends and family? Yeah, not me either. But it's a useful word. And how many have ever used, had to use the word eschatological or eschatology in their Bible studies or in their theological work? So you may be more familiar with that. But I, I want to connect those two words. And I, I want to start with application more so than, than uh, pure definition, but maybe to give some examples. Some things that have already happened have a prophetic quality to them. They are, they are an early or an advanced indication of what God wants to do in a much greater measure in the future. And these you could call adumbrations. They are indications of something in the future, and they may not have all the details. The word comes from uh, a Latin word for uh, shadow or for outline, some people think. But it can be a little sketchy in the details, but it's an indication of where God is headed and where he wants to go. And an example that we recently looked at was the example of the spy of Israel, one of the two faithful spies, Caleb. And we have a Caleb here tonight, so we congratulate you on your, uh, your ancestry by name. 
It's a good name. And, and Caleb, in the Bible, appears to have been a Gentile, probably an Edomite, and yet he becomes a key figure among the children of Israel, and ultimately he fits into the tribe of Judah, and he becomes one of their key spokesmen and one of their key leaders, and he is one of only two people, two guys over the age of 20, who God says had hearts that were fully his and who are allowed to go into the promised land. So he's an example of someone who fit into the children of Israel even though he wasn't born as a Jew. And Caleb found that his present life and his future life was tied to the children of Israel. So he's an example of an adumbration. An example of what God ultimately plans to do in a much greater way and in a much greater measure, but he's done it in some way that you could truly say the life of Caleb is prophetic, and it's connected to where God is is headed. Remember that prophecy from Isaiah 49, verse 6, where the Lord says, "It's, it's too small a thing to limit yourselves only to the restoration of the Jewish people. As important as that is, The Lord says, I also want you to be a light to the nations. You see, it's not an either or. It's not you drop one for the other. The Lord is saying both are important to me. But the second one actually depends on the first one, which some people don't realize. Well, the life of Caleb is an adumbration. It's an advanced indication of where God is headed and how people can actually succeed at fitting in. Caleb is such a good example because there are many people, there are many Jewish people who want to possess Caleb as a Jew. And yet the scripture seems to be pretty clear, I'd say 99.8% clear, that he wasn't born a Jew, that he was born of Edom, and that he was from outside, but he was brought in. He came in. Doesn't explain all the details, just some of his ancestors who came from people groups other than um, the children of Israel, but still people from the region who were from Abraham's descendants, not from uh, the Canaanites. So we can look back through the scriptures sometimes, and we can recognize adumbrations. We can see, oh, here's an example of something that happened that's that's like a prophetic picture, and it's going to help us understand more about what God is going to do in the future. And this is one of the ways we can get in touch with God's prophetic plans and what God ultimately wants to do. Because what God plans to do in the future and what he speaks about prophetically that he will do in the future, he often does along the way, step by step. And you see a part of it here, and then you see again it indicated here. And in fact, we can apply this to ourselves. We can sometimes recognize aspects of our own life that are adumbrations of the prophetic future. There may be times when you realize, oh, something that's happened to me or with me is connected to what God plans to do in the distant future or in depending on how you time these things, 
Um, in the near future, Jews married to Gentiles is an example. Uh, and serving Yeshua and raising their families with Messianic Jewish identity. This is an example, not of a travesty or, or not of just assimilation, but it's an example of where God is headed and how he has a plan to highly value both Jews and people from other nations and bring them together into one body through Messiah. And we know that this is one of the intentions that the apostles spoke about, that there would be one body where we're united together, not assimilated, not where we lose our ethnic identities, but where we are united together across our ethnicities. Now, in the same way, Messianic synagogues with a strong commitment to being a home for Messianic Jewish families, and also a place where any kind of Jewish person can come in and learn about Yeshua and look for answers to the important questions connected to life and the life of faith. But also a home, a home for people from any other nation, any other people group who want to join themselves with the Jewish people and the Jewish Messiah and move forward together. So our synagogue, Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue, is an adumbration of what God plans to do in a much greater measure in the future. And when we see that, then it causes us to appreciate and value things differently, and it also helps us understand the challenges of the future, and it gives us strength. So adumbration, let's all say it together. Adumbration, it's a useful word and concept. It helps us conceptualize, I think, and to discern what God is doing now in our lives and as individuals, as families, as a congregation, and even throughout the world. Now, this word adumbration, it accompanies the idea of the eschatological. Let's say eschatological. Eschatological. Now, there is another word that sounds almost like it, scatological, which means altogether a different thing. Totally different. Eschatological begins with the letter E. That's important to remember. It's a view of the ultimate goals and purposes and a view of the future of humanity, of the Jewish people, of the nations, and of the human soul. Now, sometimes we see into the distance in, in, this, in this way. We see, we can see the future of what God wants to do. And I'm not talking about, you've got like a crystal ball. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about you just have visions, you know, ethereal visions or something like that. I mean this, that what God says he wants to do has captured your heart. It's captured your mind. It's affected your way of thinking. How many of you uh, have been shaped by the idea that God wants to heal the brokenhearted? The good news of Isaiah 61 was not just something Isaiah talked about. Yeshua talked about it, right? And when he was reading it in the, from the scroll at synagogue that, that one Shabbat, he said, right now this is being brought into fullness. So let's go further. How many can say that, that you have a heart for those who are sick and you'd like to see them comforted, you'd like to see them healed? You have a heart for that. And you know that God wants 
to work in this direction because throughout the scriptures you see that he is the one who heals us and he is the one who, uh, who delivers us as well. Some of you have hearts for the prisoners, those who are actually in jail or in prison. And you resonate with what you read in the scriptures where, where God says, I'm going to deliver those who are captive. I'm going to set free the ones who are captive. And so it's not that you're imagining some distant future only, but you're thinking about right now. God wants um, to connect with the prisoners. Some, some people are really stirred and highly motivated wanting to feed the hungry and the poor and are aware that even in our country, which is overfed, there is a need for feeding those who don't have enough food, who have uh, food instability and, and who are at risk of being hungry uh, every day. And your desire is not put off to the distant future, even though you know that the full measure of what God wants to do on behalf of the poor and the hungry and the alienated and so forth may only be accomplished in the distant future. But right now, you want to see something happen. How many of you can relate to that? And, and some, some have a heart for the unborn, and you know that the unborn are having their rights trampled upon, and you, you speak up for the unborn. And uh, some have a heart for the immigrants, both those who are legal and those who are not but you have a heart for the immigrants, and it may be a complicated political issue, but it's not complicated in your heart. You care about people who come from other countries. You care about people who are getting settled here, and you want to see things done right, but you want to see mercy shown to those who are here. All of those stirrings and all those motivations are connected to the eschatological future where God says, I'm going to do this. How many of you believe that one day nations will not learn to make war against other nations? How many believe that God actually would like for that to happen? And how many of you are pretty sure it's not the United Nations that's going to usher that in? And you're pretty certain it's, it's not the Soviet Union or any new form. And you're, you're very confident it's not North Korea that's going to do this. But in your heart of hearts, you can still pray, Lord, we want to come to that place. How many of you believe that one day God will give peace to Jerusalem? and not just take a piece from Jerusalem. Yeah, you're stirred, and you can pray for what you cannot yet have because the, the thing that God has shown you about the distant future from the eschatological horizon, if you will, has actually touched you now. And you have a desire to see certain things uh, improved and made better. You see, when you, when you look at things from God's perspective, sometimes it seems unbelievable what he wants to do. It is. 
Sometimes it seems too big. Sometimes it just seems impossible. Sometimes it seems like God's just going to have to sweep everything away. But he already tried that. And we're now in that phase after the sweeping away. The flood has already happened. There's been a restart. Here we go again. Well, when you see into the distance in this way, it's not that you can tell the future. It's not that you're a foretell, foreteller or someone who can uh, predict the future, but rather you've been touched in your heart and in your mind by the things that are important to God that he wants to do in greater measure in the future. Once, once you can see like this, it helps you recognize what's happening, not just in the world around you, but in your own life. And sometimes we're trying to make sense of our current situation in life. And, and then we start reading in the scriptures and we discover something which God says he is doing. Have you ever had that experience where, where things made sense only after you went through a period where they didn't make any sense at all? And you were praying, God, what is going on? And you read something that, made, that maybe had no relationship to what you were interested in or thinking about. And all of a sudden, he opens up something from the scriptures to you. When God shows us what he's doing or what he will be doing, it illuminates our understanding of what's going on right now. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll give a, another example. Sometimes if you're trying to share Yeshua with other people, you're trying to share the light of Messiah with other people, as you're doing it, they ask questions. And they could ask hard questions. They could ask the kinds of questions for which there's not really a, a good answer or an easy answer. Anybody who's sharing the, the, the good news with Jewish people will have this experience. If you've ever had such conversations, and open-hearted Jewish people say, but what about this? And then they ask you a tough question. How many can relate to that? You've, been, you've heard those tough questions. Well, sometimes when we, when we get those tough questions, we actually have to seek the Lord and say, I need to find answers. But it's not just answers for them, it's answers for me. I need help. And this is the beautiful part. When, when we're looking for answers that will help the person who asked us, it usually helps us as well. Sometimes their questions are our, our unspoken questions. So bringing good news to other people results in good news for us too. Now, if we, if we think of the adumbrations as connections from the past or from the present to the future, so they're going in that direction, and if you think of the eschatological as connections from the future to the present or the past, then you can blend those things together and you get something that's really important. The past, the present, and the future are all connected to each other. What God wants to do, he will do. What he wants to do, he has been doing. What he has been doing in part, he'll do in full measure. And when you grasp that, it helps you interpret what's going on in life. When Yeshua came, 
When God came down and took on a human body, there were adumbrations of that that were prophetic in the Torah. There were examples like when, when God came down and visited Abraham and ate with Abraham. That was a prophetic anticipation in part of what he was going to do. Or when the Lord wrestled with Jacob. That was another adumbration. For that matter, when the sound of the Lord walking in the garden was heard by Adam. That was also an adumbration of the Lord coming down and being physically present uh, during the time of Yeshua and taking on physicality. When the Lord came down from heaven, the Hebrew says, and stood next to Moses. That's what it says in the Hebrew. It's not vague about this. Stood next to Moses. And while the Lord is standing next to Moses, the Lord is passing by in the distance. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by. And you have like a manifestation of the omnipresence of God, but of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit doing a work, uh, a prophetic work. It's an adumbration. It changes a lot of things when you can see that way. The God of eternity is also the Lord of this world. The invisible God is also the Lord of the visible world. Now, the Haftorah portion. Let's jump to that. Nachmu, comfort. It's a command word. Comfort, comfort my people. It has a little reference to this. And I think it's hidden within the passage from Isaiah 40, verse 21. And I'll see if I can show it to you. Here's what that verse says. After having, to, having described all these challenging things that have happened to Israel, Israel going astray and God restoring, Israel uh, not always being faithful, but God always being faithful, people raising difficult questions as if the question itself, which can stump other human beings, now disqualifies God somehow. If you can raise a hard question, you disqualify God. Well, God's response is, you know, that that's a bunch of baloney. Maybe kosher baloney, I don't know, all beef. All beef baloney. But he's saying there's something else going on. And what's going on is this. You don't understand anything. So here's how he puts it. Don't you know? Don't you listen? Haven't you been told even from the start? Don't you understand how the earth is set up? Don't you understand how the world of creation has been set up? So don't you know what's going on? Don't you listen? I know somebody told you. That's what the Lord is saying. But you don't understand how things really work. The Lord is saying that, and it's, it's, it's worth repeating over and over again, year after year, that here's the way the world really works. And you should know this already. God creates. That's what the prophetic passage is about. God watches over. God intervenes. Sometimes he lets things happen for a long, long time. But in any case, God has plans. 
And he has his own timetables. He has his purposes, his goals. He has milestones. He has uh, boundary markers along the path. And so he's saying, you don't know how to interpret what's going on in the world around you. You have good questions, but you don't have good answers. Because good answers start with reality, and the reality is the God who created is still involved. And the God who has created is not just involved now, he has plans and purposes that are going to take a long time in order to bring into fullness. But here's what you can do. You can humble yourself before God. And you can say, God, I want to be open-hearted. And you can say, God, I want to walk with you on this path. I want to uh, live with you. And if you do, life will make more sense to you. Now, each week we, we uh, chant a prayer that says, the Lord reigns, the Lord has reigned, the Lord will reign. And I want you to think about that. The Lord reigns. What tense is that? Present tense. The Lord has reigned. Past tense. The Lord will reign. Future tense. Right. So if you think about it, what unites the past, the present, and the future is actually the Lord. The Lord is what unites those things. That's what Isaiah is trying to open up to us. And he wants us to learn to interpret what God is doing and to see things from God's perspective, not only from our perspective. When we only see from our perspective, we will never see the fullness of what God is wanting to do and what he is wanting to accomplish. I want to close with some ideas that Yeshua brought up that are connected with Isaiah and this whole issue of open hearts and open minds, open ears, open eyes. It's in Mark chapter 8, verse 17, is where it starts. But there is a discussion about bread. And Yeshua, who was listening in, asked his disciples, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you see how these ideas connect to each other? You don't see, you don't understand. Your hearts are hardened. And so we can get ready for something that open hearts are soft hearts, and open hearts are accompanied by open spiritual eyes, and open hearts and open spiritual eyes bring understanding and insight and perception. But if our hearts aren't open, our eyes won't be open spiritually. Our ears won't be open spiritually. And then what? We won't understand. Verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And don't you remember? You see, spiritual eyes are connected to spiritual ears. And both are connected to our normal memories and our thinking processes. And Yeshua is saying, your eyes aren't open spiritually. Your ears aren't open spiritually. Your hearts are, are hard. 
and you're interpreting things wrongly by the real evidence that you are taking notice of, but you're forgetting the other evidence that you already have. So your memory, your normal human memory, isn't working right because human memory is connected to spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, spiritual hearts. Yeshua says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Twelve, they answered. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Seven, they answered. And then he asked them, and you still don't understand? You still don't understand. They had become unmindful. They couldn't see what was really happening. They couldn't see the invisible, and they couldn't see the visible. They couldn't see either way. The hearts were a little hard. And they were only looking at little details. It's like, it looks like we ran out of bread, and now we're in trouble. And Yeshua said, why are you worried about running out of bread? What just happened? How much bread did we have? For 5,000. Yeah. Do you remember what happened? And then finally he says, Don't you understand? Don't you understand? We'll wrap all this up. As we're moving forward, it's really important to be able to, like, connect the dots, to connect this and this and this. Like, why are there Messianic synagogues? Well, God is restoring the Jewish people. That's one answer. Here's another answer. God is restoring... The, the Jewish people and the nations together. That's another answer. Here's another answer. God wants to use the restored Jewish people and restored Gentiles to learn to love each other because when you love each other the way he loves us, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. That's another answer. Here's another answer. This is what, where God's headed because he promised in Jeremiah that he would restore the Jewish people to their flocks using Messiah. So he's keeping his promises. That's another answer. You see, there are a lot of answers to it. And if someone says, yeah, but I just see a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you have to say, well, that's the way prophetic things are. Prophetic things don't fully emerge until the very end, but along the way, you see it here, and you see it here, and you see it here. And when you see it, take courage. It's an adumbration. It's an anticipation. It's an advance indication of where God is headed and what he's going to do. When you grasp that, then you can make sense out of other things in your life. That's one way of explaining things. There's another way of explaining things. I see off into the distance, and I see what God wants to do. And because I see that, I know what to do right now. And because I know what to do right now, my life makes sense. 
because all I have to do in life really is do the next right thing. I can't figure out everything. How how many of you have ever made long-term plans and then seen them fail miserably? And it's not that we shouldn't plan. It's that we have difficulty sometimes really seeing the future clearly. But I'll ask another telling question. How many people have ever had this experience? You wake up in the morning knowing something that you've put off doing that's really, really important. It has no sense of urgency, but it comes to your mind and you become aware of it and you struggle with it just like you did the day before. How many can relate to that? And how many can relate to doing that for years? (laughs) With the same thing even, right? Because sometimes it's hard to change. Sometimes it's hard to take the thing that we know we need to do and start and to incorporate it and integrate it into our lives. And I believe that there are times when you know what to do and you know what the next step is. You see clearly, but you don't have power within yourself to do it. And if we can learn how to start, to start simply and to make a little bit of progress step by step, we can actually uh, make a lot of progress over time. Well, all these things are connected. And I'm not going to wrap them up into something simple and nice and neat. I want to give you things to think about and talk about and to say, I still don't know how you spell adumbration. Look it up on Facebook. Try to spell it. A-D-U-M. Thank you very much. That's a clue. If you're looking for the first four letters... A-D-U-M, adumbration. And eschatological, what are the first four letters? E-S-C-H. At this hour, I'm counting. It's like, is that four? (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll stop at four. Okay. And I just want to pray. I want to pray for ourselves that our spiritual hearts would be open, that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be open, so that we could really hear, we could really understand, and we could turn in the direction God's going and go with him. Let's pray in that way. Lord, we thank you that you've poured out the gift of repentance that leads to life, and through Messiah we can be reconciled to you fully. And we pray that our hearts would not be hard, but opened. We pray that our eyes would not be blind, but they would see. We pray that our um, ears would not be deaf, but they would hear. And we pray that we would understand. And with the understanding that comes from you, that we could be perceptive, and that by your Holy Spirit, we could be strong enough to begin and to move forward step by step along your path, and to do those things that would bear fruit and that would cause you to say that we are good and faithful servants. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, I encourage you to move just enough so that you're not standing by yourself. Thank you, Mike. 
Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navei lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navei lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.